0: Of what it means to be one of the sector's critically important yet least understood roles, while giving honest answers to our profession's most difficult questions. Thank you for joining us in this episode of the Fundraising Talent Podcast. Here's your host, author, fundraiser, and master trainer, Jason Lewis.
1: Hi, podcast listeners. This is Jason Lewis, and I am your host for the Fundraising Talent Podcast. I want to thank you for joining us today for the show that is shaping the way that the nonprofit sector thinks about fundraising talent. Before I introduce today's guest, I do want to thank our sponsor, QBAC. QBAC is a next-generation advancement solution that reimagines alumni engagement to increase major planned and principal giving. QBAC acts as a force multiplier for fundraisers, enabling them to focus on what they do best, developing deep relationships with prospects and cultivating them into lifelong donors. QBAC automates the qualification process beyond simple scoring to ensure that your fundraisers have the best prospects. QBAC also uncovers actionable insights about current and future prospects to help fundraisers develop personalized cultivation strategies. Start closing bigger gifts in less time by going to www.cubac.com to schedule a free demo. Hi, Dominique. I am delighted to have you on the Fundraising Talent Podcast with me today. You are back. We had you, I think, about a year ago. Maybe maybe it's not been that long. Um, And we were just refreshing each other's memories on what that conversation looked like. Um, So I'm really glad to have you back. And I'm also really glad that you were one of our uh, contributing authors for the first edition of Carefully and Critically, our professional journal. And so for the sake of our listeners, we'll put some links in the show notes for you to download Dominique's article as well as the other four, the three contributing authors. Before we dive into the subject that you talked about, Dominique, which is certainly a very relevant topic for a number of reasons, but I just ask you to introduce yourself.
2: Yeah, and thanks for having me back. I uh- Love being on here with you. It was a great time last time, so I already know we're about to have a great conversation. So again, I'm Dominique Leeks. I'm the associate director of annual giving and special events at YW Boston. I use the She series and I spend a lot of my time thinking about fundraising strategies, especially around individuals and special events. Which brings me to my article that I, I wrote about for the, the journal.
1: So, Dominique, before we dive into that, tell me about the YW in Boston in the pandemic for the last year because I think the last time we talked, if we if if we were in the midst of the pandemic, it was at the very beginning. So, give me an update on how things have been navigated for you all.
2: Yeah, I mean, for us over here at the YW Boston, we are very, we we definitely had to pivot like every other nonprofit. Um Especially, we do a lot of our things in person, so getting things up to speed for our on the program side and on the fundraising side, just so that we were ready to deliver virtually was a big priority, especially when we had first um chatted what was like a year ago, I think now um right at the onset of the pandemic and so really thinking through how to create those spaces because at the Y w we're having conversations. That require you to build space so that um, you can meet people where they are and have those direct conversations, so that you can see some sort of impact in terms of moving towards a more equitable and inclusive space. And so, be- being able to build those spaces virtually was really the big priority. And thinking through what were the aspects of those spaces that we were creating in person that we need to bring into the virtual world. And so, thinking through, well, what can we do on Zoom that makes it so that it is a community where you feel like you're safe to have these conversations and and even feel safe to get uncomfortable in these conversations? And even thinking about how to have those conversations, but also be able to move around and really create the feeling of being in uh, an event. And so, that's what we spend a lot of our time thinking through as an organization in the last year.
1: Yeah. And so that's a great lead into essentially what you talked about in the article. Um, Great piece, great piece. Um, I've already gotten, I've heard some feedback from it. I think you have too as well, but the question you were asking Dominique, which we're going to just sort of tackle here, we're not going to essentially unpack the entire article. Our listeners will have to go and find the journal to do that. Uh, But you're asking the question, is it time to rethink our special events? And it's, it's kind of interesting that you pose that question because what you think about what, if we all think about what COVID has allowed us to do, it has allowed us to put what our special events looked like on pause and given us time to, you know, address that immediate need of addressing whatever that, you know, event was generating in terms of activity for us. But then as we come out of the pandemic, these are the questions you're really asking here in that article. Um, So kind of from a 30,000 foot view, what do you, what's the question you're really asking when you say, is it time to rethink our special events?
2: Well, really, I want people to start to think about we've been on this like rinse, cycle and repeat with our events. It's always the same structure. You can go to any nonprofit event and you you kind of know the lay of the land. You're going to walk in. There's probably a networking portion. There's probably an auction or some sort of like a thing to like get you to interact with some sort of item that can revenue or generate revenue. And then you go into, you, you know, your grand floor, your grand ballroom, and you do your, your typical things, right? Yeah. And that's been the way of running your fundraising events for years now. And now that we're moving into a time where things are more digital and things require um, thinking through different abilities and different needs for your constituents, it's now it's I really think it's time that we start to rethink how we're doing events so that it's not so rinse, cycle, and repeat. And it's more of what really works for our organization is going to be the most impactful because you're spending so much money on these events. And yeah, you're gonna get it back through your sponsorships and your attendees and your ticket sales and day of giving, but you're still spending a lot of money on these events and they're are not always the most aligned because we're still doing that rinse cycle repeat.
1: Yeah, and you know, we've been doing that. I I've, I've been in this space for 20 years, 20 20 close 2022 20, 23 years, and we've been rinse repeating, you know, we've been doing that since I came along and I know even then people were sort of asking that same question, but I think there's, you know, a lot of what you're getting at is sort of the cultural relevance of demographics are changing. We're becoming a much more diverse country. Um, we're becoming much more receptive to the idea that, hey, it's not just the rich, rich old white guy who can show up at your event. Those are the types of things you're asking. Am I right?
2: Yeah. I think that with it being so rent cycle, let's repeat, we've been so focused on this one monolith of like what our donors look like. And yeah. that's not what our donors have to always look like. Like I am a black woman and I could be your donor, but your, your strategy doesn't necessarily like fit into what I'm looking for in terms of engagement because you're so focused on, well, this is how we've done it from the beginning of time and it's worked. And now it's time to get a little bit more creative because with the way that demographics are changing, and with the way that things are evolving in terms of like the digital age, and like we're like literally what what the digital age was when I was in like high school, and like versus now is completely different. And so, really thinking about all the the different things that are evolving around technology and really using that to our advantage so we can get creative and really push engagement. Because events are really supposed to be a part of your engagement strategy. And yet they're so stale and dry because it's rinse, cycle, repeat every year. Like I can run an event for a nonprofit with my eyes closed because it's always the same thing. And there's never really anything that like, it's going to like stir up the pot a little when it comes to like how nonprofits want to run their events.
1: Are you asking the question, is the, is the experience essentially need to change or is it the audience? I mean, what is it, what is it that ultimately needs to change? I mean, I can think of, so I have worked for faith-based organizations. I've worked for, um, uh, you know, a large health charity in Washington, and we had a New York gala. So we shipped everybody up to New York. Um, I, I I can think of sort of all the different sort I've worked with a lot of independent schools, and they have annual auctions. Is it the is it the experience that you think has to change? Or is it the audience? Or is it some combination of both? Or, or is it even the goal? I I recently read a book. Um, Dominique recently just there's a there's a there's a shift in sort of the design like an underlying purpose. Is it a different purpose that we're looking for?
2: I think that it's a combination of all those things. I think that yeah, with this like rinse cycle and repeat like way of going about events, every nonprofit is thinking that they have the same exact goal. And the goal is to generate revenue. And yes, that's definitely, like, I would be a terrible fundraiser if I said, my goal isn't to generate revenue for my organization. That would be, like, the worst, I would be the worst fundraiser, and I would tell my boss to fire me tomorrow. But at the same time, yeah, we want to raise revenue, but there are other goals that are, like, important to your 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 plan here with your event. And those are the things that you need to consider. And that doesn't fit into the rinse cycle and repeat. You have to really think about what it is that your organization is looking to achieve with the event and the audience that your organization pulls in so that you can build in an event that really fits for your audience, your goal, and everything that you're trying to achieve while also being aligned with the work that you're doing you don't want to create an event and it be the same event as the organization down the street that has a completely different mission from yours but like you guys are in the same exact event that doesn't make sense your demographics aren't the same nothing about your organization is the same but your event looks the exact same
1: yeah so there's a there's a statement in here that you make that it's probably as i and i remember reading this You know, first time you submitted it to me Um, and it it never, Dominique, it never occurred to me. And yet I've been guilty of propping this stuff up for years, having organized my own share of events. But this idea of passive and performative sort of what you call allyship, the idea that we sort of like to create these photo opportunities for the attendees in which to then therefore sort of be perceived as sort of doing their part, I guess you could say, in the community. And I just, I chuckled in sort of a, almost a, you know, it was like, oh, yeah, that's kind of yucky. <laughs> you know what I mean? It just it kind of irked me to even process it that way. But I can't think of the, I mean, how many of us can think of those numbers of organizations that create these photo opportunities for their oftentimes rich, wealthy donors so that they get in the newsletter, so they get seen supporting whatever charity of choice it happens to be. Um, But how do we change that? Because you want to, you want to, you want to ruffle that feather and change that, don't you?
2: Yeah, I definitely want that to change. And like the, like personally, the reason why I want it to change is like me as a woman of color. I'm a black woman. I like unapologetically am a black woman, right?
1: Yeah. And I go
2: into these events, and I'm like, if I were a participant at one of these organizations, and I walked in and I saw this, I'd be like what and so (laughs) that you're in in doing these like performative allyship opportunities for your donors you're really creating an opportunity to alienate other people who are also just as important to your constituent base Uh, like you want to make sure that you have a diverse Constituent based so that you're able to bring a variety of opinions to the table and you're able to really make an impact and create opportunities for people to really understand social impact and not just, oh yeah, me and Sally and Billy and, and Jeff, we all went to that event and literally Sally, Billy and Jeff, they go to all the events and they're right, going to right. make sure that you know that they're at all the events. But you're not going to see someone like me show up at the event because oftentimes I feel alienated or because that it's not what the type of event that I would want to go to nonprofits forget to advertise or invite folks that look like me to the event. And that's what then creates the super performative opportunity for your guests, your billies, your, your Johns and (laughs) Karen and et cetera.
1: Okay. So is the event still going to happen? And it's just going to look differently or because I'm hearing what I'm talking, when I'm, what I'm hearing from you and what I'm hearing from other people is both the tension of having a different event, but also what I'm constantly hearing that we've learned in the midst of this pandemic is that the virtual events for example are drawing in a more diverse it's it's sort of helping us achieve that that aspiration of having a more diverse and rep- representative sort of crowd there but what i'm also hearing in between the lines of i think what you and i are talking about here is that at some point we may want to achieve an in person event where you and i uh, a woman of color and me a white guy are standing next to each other embracing and thinking hey this is great that we're together and making that more representative of whatever the hell the event is.
2: Yeah, I think that's the the overall goal. And in order to achieve that overall goal, you have to spend the, the same amount of time that we spent in this pandemic thinking about how to pivot and make sure things work in this virtual world. That should be the same amount of effort that you put into thinking through what are the, the key things about this event that are going to Make sure that the event aligns with our organization's mission. Who are you targeting? Who, who's getting an invite? Who's on your host committee? Who's making sure that you're reaching out to sponsors? Who, like, who are your sponsors? These are the things that are really going to help make sure that room is filled with people that don't just all look the same and exclude or alienate people who don't fit into that, that donor profile build that has been the donor profile for so long.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, In the, later in the article, you start talking about vendors and, you know, a lot of times these events rely on sponsorships, right? And when I was reading that um, I penciled in my margin uh, while I was reading it, the idea of a statement that I had read, this was all pre-pandemic pre sort of the social unrest black lives matter sort of all the sort of tension that's in the air the last couple of years was the, uh, a lot of this sort of simmered to the top during the, the Trump, Trump, Trump administration, the idea that everything is political now. And when I, when I was thinking about your comments about vendors, I wondered, okay, are the events going to, because a lot of times these vendors are oftentimes utilizing our events for their own marketing purposes. But if marketing is now becoming much more politically driven, like we just know there's politics and there's, there's messages sort of ingrained in sort of what we do are, are, are our events going to look less like community events and they're going to look more, say political.
2: I don't think they necessarily have to look political. I mean, uh, like to say that there is not going to be a political underlying, like literally my existence as a black woman is like rooted in politics, like from right, my right. hair to like my skin tone, everything. Right. Like yes. and, like It's going to be there, but that doesn't have to change your target audience. It doesn't have to change your goals. It just means that you have to be more intentional and think about, well, if I'm using this vendor, this is going to amplify this part of my mission. So like when I'm thinking about vendors that I'm using, I'm making sure that I'm looking for vendors that have representation across all the spectrums. I'm not just looking for, oh, I I want a a woman of color owned or a, a black owned. I want, I want, I want to see trans owned businesses. I want to see businesses owned by anyone from the LGBTQIA community. I want to see a true community that really reflects the, the world so that my mission is de- definitely at the forefront because I'm putting into the, I'm putting effort into making sure there's a social impact and people are aware that there's more than just, you know, your typical, like, big name vendors that your hotels and your whatever venues you're using try and push on you.
1: Listeners are regularly hearing about this. And one of the things that I'm picking on in my book, Uh, very, because it's a strong conviction that I have that too much of our fundraising looks basically like consumer behavior. Like we're just assuming that the donor is one and the same as as the consumer. So if it happens to be, if our stereotypical consumer in the marketplace is a, you know, white affluent male, then that's who we sort of quote unquote sell to. And I think that's kind of what you're getting at when you talk about these themes. And I think about so many of my different clients who have these gimmick type themes. You talk about the Roaring Twenties and the Black Ties and the Casino Nights and those sorts of things. And and again, I'm thinking about an author that I read, I, her name, for uh, forgive me for forgetting her name, but she talks about how we're when we convene people for these events, we have to think about the purpose. And that's what you're getting at here in your article is that it's so distracting. And then it also puts these people in sort of a different Posture, because they come there to consume the entertainment rather than to perhaps be citizens of a, you know, the, the 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 kind of contrast I make in the book is the difference between a consumer and a citizen. And I think what you're conveying here in this this article is the idea that we want citizens showing up for these events, not consumers. Am I right?
2: Absolutely. I mean. You're going to have more of an impact and you're going to have better engagement opportunities with your attendees if you really focus on them as citizens, as people, because then you're going to be able to build those genuine relationships. Whereas if you're just, you know, paint brushing and doing the rinse cycle repeat and like using that same strategy over and over again, you're really, you're you're missing a lot of new people that might be coming into your event. Cause you can you can do the work and have people from various backgrounds on your host committee and you could be intentional about making sure that you're using different vendors. But if it's not a whole wraparound strategy where you're being intentional, you're not creating an experience where people are going to say, Yeah, I definitely want to come back and engage with that organization.
1: Are we making the mistake of thinking, because I think part of your Critique of sort of being rinse and repeat. Sort of, it it becomes so predictable, but it also becomes very efficient. That's one of the things that I was talking a lot about with with Megan, one of the other contributing authors in the journal, was the idea that efficiency is sort of built into the way that we approach these things. So something that you can, you know, it's a it's basically a machine. You can flip it on and you can flip it off, and it's very predictable. And so you can, and the other thing is you can perfect it. And I think with some of the things that you're drawing our attention to in the article is there's also an in-between-the-line sort of willingness to sort of iterate and experiment and explore the possibilities of what these, like the next five years, and and I don't know that you said this explicitly, but it's almost like maybe we're moving into a period of, say, the next five years, we do a lot of exploring of new ways to do these things. Am, Am I hearing that?
2: Yeah, I definitely, and I think that in this last year, we've seen that, a lot of good can come from experimentation and exploration. Like who would have thought that you would have been running your events completely virtual? Who would have thought that you would have been doing your donor visits virtually? Everything had to change in this last year and you had to experiment and you had to, you know, be willing to roll with the punches and hope for the best. And lots of good came out of that for organizations. There are some organizations Like, including my own, we've found that there are ways for us to do some of these touch points in a virtual manner that allow for us to build deeper connection that we would have never thought to do in like an in-person setting. And now it's okay. We did this virtually as we think about what's what it's going to look like when things start to like move into what is the new normal. Um, if that's still a catchphrase that folks are using but as we move into that space like how are we going to capture that same kind of exploration and experimentation and bring that to the the engagement strategy that we're using with our our donors and our events and thinking through wh- how how to continue that momentum because it was, something that brought a lot of joy and a lot of engagement to our organization and our our constituents.
1: So as a woman of color, somebody who advocates for diversity, equity, inclusion initiatives, works at the YW, I think the, the word, when we think about diversity, equity, inclusion, and I think about special events, I think about the inclusivity that sort of doesn't seem to sometimes jive real well i think we can get diverse and i think we can create equity in the room but it's the inclusiveness because sometimes i mean our purposes are are our purposes going to have to evolve for purposes other than fundraising in order to be inclusive or can we be can we at any time be exclusive for the purpose perhaps exclusive for the purpose of raising money Do you follow what I'm asking? I'm sort of wrestling with that. I'm just wrestling with just the word inclusive.
2: Yeah, I think that there doesn't necessarily have to be an exclusive nature to um, fundraising. And I think that there are ways to build an inclusive strategy into fundraising that still allow you to bring in the same amount of revenue, if not more, because you're creating a different kind of experience that sometimes you're you're not able to create in other settings, and so that is the the power of the nonprofit sector. We are creating this social impact, and we're creating opportunities for people to really sit in that discomfort and see the see other things that they aren't typically seeing and getting to to sit down and have a conversation with with so and so who has uh, a different experience and getting getting to relate your experiences and have that be a part of your connection to your organization so yeah there for a long time the nonprofit sector focused on creating these exclusive experiences that made made it seem that like if you are a supporter of this organization you are like this elite and all like all-knowing yeah. person and like it It had this like icky feeling to it because there there doesn't need to be an elitism to doing good work. Yeah, yeah. everybody should have access to being able to support good things and doing good work, and in making it exclusive, you're making you're you're literally alienating a group of people who may want to support the good work, but because you created this exclusive opportunity, they don't see themselves in that.
1: Okay, so each one of the articles that are written in this, I knew there were, as I read through them, as I read through each of the four articles in this this journal, I knew that there was probably a question that that our readers, or at least some of our readers would ask, that they would want to ask, but would never dare ask. So here's the question I think people, when they're reading your article, Dominique, I think the question some of our readers are probably thinking is, so what if the rich white people won't show up? So that they so, let's say they read your article they they believe in it, they agree with it, they simmer on it, they're convicted, yes, we're going to try something new, but what if the rich white people won't show up are what those the people them? that
2: you want in your to support your work is that is that the I don't culture? know i I, like, I just think
1: I think that's the I think that's the question that they're asking I think that's the question that somebody's going to ask.
2: And I is would turn it back work? on them and say, "Is that the type of person that you want supporting your work as you continue on your journey and with your organization to do to create good and have a social impact? You have to really think about the people that you're surrounding your your organization with and what impact that is going to have on the people that you're you're working with and you, that you're you don't want to create a situation where it's you're working with these people, uh, and then you have these supporters, and there is this power dynamic and the structure there that doesn't allow any, like you, you, with having this power dynamic, you're not allowing for any mobility for the people that you're working with, and you're try and the the mission that you're working towards. So if you're going to allow someone who's not going to, you know, wanna come along with you as you, you know, really rethink the event space and try and build an inclusive space when it comes to nonprofit events. They're just they're a detractor from your mission and your work. And so then the question really lies is your priority the mission and the work or is your priority to get this dollar to support the work but you're not actually doing the work because you have this detractor.
1: Yeah, I think I think so I have never been a big super fan of events myself because I think I think when they wrestle with that question I think we've got a lot of events that have been in rinse and repeat mode for as long as they have not because the more diverse audience wants to show up or the not so diverse audience doesn't sh- you know whatever who shows up or doesn't um but because they are fundraising events, they are there solely for the dollar. And I think part of what you're challenging us with is at some point you have to ask yourself if the, if the motives behind the event are even the right motives to begin with. Um, You know, the, the question you didn't pose in your, in your article is perhaps some events aren't necessary anymore. In some cases we just need to unplug the events. Is that is that perhaps part of the, the the question that has to be answered as well?
2: Yeah, I think that with like the main thing with my question that I'm asking around events is, are you thinking critically about what you're doing for your events and how they're being utilized for your organization? And if there's still an asset to your organization right, besides right. just oh, yeah, it's going to bring in revenue. Well, like, okay, lots of things will bring in revenue.
1: Yeah, L-
2: Like, I can think of plenty of ways to bring in revenue, but you have to think about the time that it takes to do that and the impact that it has on your organization and the people that you're working with, and then really weigh all of those things and think about, is that really what we need to be doing? And think critically about that because, If you choose to continue to do that, there are implications.
1: Yeah. I mean, we had, I worked with a client for a couple of years and they had, and and I, I participated in their annual event every year. And I got to know a handful of their major donors in the process. And Dominique, three years in a row, I went to their event and their three largest donors who in some cases contributed to the event as well. The three largest donors never showed up. And so it begs the question, you know, whether it's the people that are not, that don't feel that the event is culturally relevant to them or in some cases it's the event that you've designed it for, you know, it's the audience you've designed it for, but they're not showing up either. And so I, I think you're really sort of just challenging us to just as the journal is intending to do to think carefully and critically through this. Um, right.
2: Yeah, no, I definitely like there, there are lots of, reasons to think and rethink your your events and and it's not just because like they're not the most inclusive opportunity they're also they're also fairly time consuming as a fundraiser who plans events I spend a good chunk of my time planning events and that's that's just a part of the game and a part of my role and I get that but am I planning events that are going to Really push the needle on our our mission and align that's the, always the question and if you if my answer isn't always yes, that's the time where we have to really think and say, hey, is this an event that we actually have to put on? Yeah. There are lots of yeah. events that like as we thought through this pandemic like is this is this the time to put this event on? is this going to give our community what it needs and sometimes the answer was no. And sometimes the answer was yes. And so yeah. really thinking through that is what every organization has to do as opposed to just being focused on this rinse cycle and repeat of like, oh, we did this event last year. So we're going to do the exact same thing this year. You got to take the time and learn from, if you did it last year, what did you learn from last year? Are you debriefing yeah. and really thinking about like what you did at the event that was effective and really aligned with your mission? And are you bringing that back? Are you making that a focal point?
1: Yeah. Well, Dominique, I've had your attention for a half hour. We're going to put this out uh, quickly and we're going to get this. Um, we're going to get this. Uh, uh, encourage our listeners to download the uh, the journal and read the article. Uh, Dominique, I've got to say, I mean, for for someone who is. Uh, an event planner, a woman of color, and in a big town like Boston that has to be a an event town, somebody has to be interested in reaching out to you. They're probably going to say, hey, I want to talk to her and get some additional opinions from her. Um, maybe we'll get you some uh, side consulting gigs on some event planning um, out of this deal. Let me know if that works out. Um, Dominique, if somebody reach, wants to reach out to you, how uh, how would you suggest that they do that?
2: Yeah, I'm on Twitter and I'm on Instagram at Dom Profit. So those are great ways to reach out to me. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn, Dominique Leakes, you know, D-O-M-I-N-I-Q-U-E-C-A-L-I-X-T-E. It's a fun name to spell. Um, yeah, those are the best ways to, to reach out to me. And also you can also just look up the YW Blossom because I'm likely going to have my email somewhere on that page too.
1: Dominique, it has certainly been a pleasure. You are always welcome back. Thank you again for being one of our contributors this this quarter. Thanks for
2: having me.